text this morning from the chapter we read together. It's First uh, Corinthians 9, verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. I do not run like a man running aimlessly. There's a story told of a man who was walking one day through a country road and he saw a boy practicing archery against the side of a, a barn. The man was quite impressed with the boy's marksmanship because he noticed that uh, his previous shots had all been uh, bullseyes. Several targets were painted in the barn and each one of them had an arrow right in the centre. So the man stopped to see how the, the boy got on with his next shot. The boy pulled back the, the bow and let an arrow fly at random uh, on the side of the barn. And then he took a can of paint and he drew a target around uh, where the arrow had landed. And that's how uh, he had achieved uh, so much success. And that is also how uh, many churches operate uh, when they approach mission. They aim at nothing and then they make it look as though they knew what they were doing all along. Now most of our thinking, as we've been thinking about uh, what are the elements of a healthy church over the past months, have been to do with uh, biblical thinking and practice. But it's also possible to be unthinkingly orthodox. Uh, So there are churches that consider themselves faithful because they've never changed what they do. Uh, They've never changed, rather, the way that they do things. Now, there are clearly we of all people would declare that there are things which are absolutely non-negotiable, unchangeable, and the gospel message is surely uh, non-negotiable and unchangeable. But the context in which we build the kingdom of God changes, and so it requires us to be adaptable in the way that we bring the gospel to the people of our generation. And we need to be reflective as Christians, We need to know, we need to understand the age in which we are called to serve God and what it is we're called to be. We need to have a clear idea of mission and we need to have a clear idea of how it is we will carry out that mission. Now there are two words which are are always used in this kind of context which sound very similar and sometimes they are used interchangeably. The word mission and the word vision. Uh, But we, at least for the purposes of this sermon, can use them in two different ways. And we can think of mission as what we're called to do in building God's kingdom. That's what our calling is. And vision, if you like, is how that is fleshed out. What doing that mission looks like. So if you take the word vision, to see something, well, what... What do you see when you see a group of people carrying out their mission? What does it entail? What does that mean on the ground, as it were? What will be in place in order to fulfill the, fulfill the mission of the church? That's the vision that the church has. Now, I'm quite confident that Paul would have no time for people who simply did the same thing over and over again without thinking about what they were doing. He would have little time for those who were content to be faithful but had no appetite for growth, possibly because they had no idea what growth would look like if it hit them in the face. The Christian life is purposeful, 
Paul says that he is living as an apostle with purpose. I do not run aimlessly. I've got purpose in what I'm doing. I'm aiming for a prize. Ecclesiastes 10.10, an interesting verse, says, If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. In other words, if you've got an axe and you're, you're uh, chopping firewood, uh, if you've got a blunt edge to the axe, then it's going to take a lot of brute strength to uh, do uh, what might otherwise take less effort. But a little reflection will lead you to uh, see that it just simply needs to be sharpened, and then you'll get on a lot better with the work. So there's a skill factor also in Christian service, and none more important than having an idea of what our mission is to be, and of our vision for what that mission should look like, how it is fleshed out. So this morning we're going to take the Apostle as our example, and we look at how Paul had a strategy for his ministry, which was born out of a clear uh, understanding of his mission, and a vision of what was needed to bring it about. And then secondly, I want us to, to think about the fact that whilst that's important, we have a great strategist, the Lord, who sometimes throws our best plans up in the air and redirects us in how we need to be open to his leading and prompting. And then lastly, I want us to think of what these kind of considerations look like in our own situation. So Paul was a man of vision. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's defending his ministry. Corinth was a church in modern-day Greece, which Paul had planted, but with which he had a turbulent relationship. He had loads of critics in Corinth, partly because there was factions, there was groups that, that looked up to different men as their leaders. And one of uh, the aspects of Paul's ministry, of which some were critical, was that Paul worked to support himself. Paul was a tent maker, and so he worked at the nights to support himself so that he didn't uh, get a stipend, what we call a stipend or a salary, from the church at Corinth. And there were some in Corinth who were saying, well, it's not much of a minister if he doesn't even think he's worthy of, of drawing a stipend from the church. That was the, the, the rather perverse way that they looked at Paul's stand. And so he's defending himself here. And in chapter 9, he's making it clear that he has every right to expect to be supported, just as the other apostles were, but that he's voluntarily renounced the right uh, of being paid because he sees that as an opportunity to advance the gospel. He doesn't want unbelievers to think that he's a professional, that he's engaged in the gospel for financial gain. So that in turn had led him to reflect on his vision for ministry, uh, which was a vision which arose out of a very clear sense of mission as an apostle to the Gentiles. So let's think about these two things, uh, Paul's understanding of, of his mission and the vision, how that was fleshed out, what it looked like in Paul's uh, ministry. He had a very clear idea of the mission that God had given him. 
When you read the epistles, uh, he almost states his calling of God uh, every time. And it's usually running something like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. He was called to be an apostle. So that word apostle places Paul in a specific time period, in a specific generation, and with a specific task. An apostle was someone, as Paul actually says here, a, a key verse actually, uh, in verse 1, am I not free, am I not an apostle, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So to be an apostle is to have seen Jesus the Lord, to be an eyewitness, to be a foundation layer of the church. The church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So, here's Paul's mission. He is what we call nowadays a church planter. But his mission was even more specific than that. He tells the Galatians God had given him the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. In other words, the people who were not Jews. He's like you and me. Peter had a calling to preach to the Jews, but Paul was on a, a mission to preach to those who are not Jews. So that's it now then. But even more than that, he had a specific mission to go to places where the gospel hadn't yet been preached. Romans 15, verse 20, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Here is somebody with a very clear sense of his mission. He is a church planter, called by God to plant the church. Uh, he is to go to the non-Jews, and he is to go to places where the gospel hasn't been preached yet. That is Paul's mission. Well, what would that mission look like? Um, how would it be fleshed out? In other words, what's his vision? Paul has a very clear idea of his vision for planting churches. It will involve, first of all, modelling grace in the way that he lives, uh, which is pretty much what he's talking about in chapter 9. Uh, he will not take a fee for his preaching. Uh, he, will, he will seek to, to model to others by this unique uh, style of ministry that the gospel is unconditional. Uh, it doesn't require us to, to give anything to God. God does not ask us to change before we receive Jesus Christ as Christians. And so Paul would tell people that, but he also wanted to be a living uh, illustration of that truth, so that he would have no wealthy benefactor uh, who could think to themselves that God, God is God's pleased with me because I support uh, Paul in his ministry. That would never enter the mind of anybody because nobody was giving Paul any money. And so uh, his, his life modeled out the, the free grace of the gospel. Salvation does not depend on anything that you have done. Nothing that you do, nothing that you contribute to the church makes you any better in God's sight. Uh, trying to be a better person so that you can then become a Christian. It's not what God is asking anyone to do. 
God is simply saying, repent and believe the gospel. Do it now. Don't pull yourself up by your, your bootstraps and then come to God for forgiveness. Because that's trying to earn salvation. You cannot earn salvation. Now, at the same time, he is very careful to underline that this is not the norm for gospel ministers. The norm is for the church to support them. And that's a pattern which is laid down in the Bible. And so it's, it's normal for uh, the, the, the local minister today to be supported by a congregation so that they are freed up to give all their time to the gospel. But Paul had this, he had this vision that this is one, one of the ways he would show that the, the freeness of the gospel would be by the way he lived. Also the manner of his preaching uh, would be part of his vision uh, for mission. What do we mean by that? We mean the way that he accommodated himself to be to narrow the gap. Uh, so think of it like this. With people who are, are not yet Christians, there's the obvious gap that uh, exists because of belief. Uh, there's a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian because one believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and the other doesn't yet. But with other folks who, who are not yet Christians, there, there are other things which come between us, like culture, cultural differences and so on, what we're interested in, um, the, the kind of things that we've read. And sometimes our efforts to communicate the gospel are made harder because people might think we're from another planet. You know, there's no connection uh, with them, the things that they're interested in, the things that they do in their spare time. There's no connection. And Paul saw that, and he saw that it was important to narrow that, that gap until it was nearly non-existent. So the only gap that was left was one of belief. And so he, he makes this famous statement, I have become all things to all people so that I might save some. That's it, so that some might be saved. Uh, there are things which aren't important, you see, that make uh, for a difference. Think about it in terms of, of uh, radios, radio uh, transmitters and receptors. Some of the stuff uh, that uh, Christians, some of the eccentricity sometimes of Christians, or uh, things that, that uh, are unnecessarily different, act as interference so that people don't pick up on what's really important. Paul wanted to get rid of as much interference as possible. Yeah? So that with, with Jews, people who uh, were, were seeing that the ceremonial laws were, were very important, Paul says, well, these things don't matter. You know. If it means that I'll get a hearing, well, I won't eat pork when I'm with them, that's fine. I know that it's not a problem any longer because Jesus has done away with that, but, well, if I can get a hearing for the gospel, no problem. Won't eat the bacon. Uh, he even got Timothy circumcised. Uh, because he knew that was going to be an issue uh, the next place they went to preach the gospel because people knew that his father had been a Greek and therefore probably wouldn't have been circumcised. So Paul said, look, uh, I absolutely would not do this if somebody was saying it was essential for salvation. But that's not the issue here. Just going to get us a hearing for the gospel. So Timothy, I'm afraid, get, get circumcised. And that was his way of narrowing the gap so that people would hear the gospel. We should do that in different ways also. Paul's vision was 
that his ministry would be people-driven, that he wouldn't expect people all the time to come to him. That wasn't going to happen. He would go to where people were. So that, that meant, first of all, going to the synagogue, uh, but also to the marketplace, where people exchanged news, and to the Areopagus in Athens, where the, the philosophers of the day went with the latest ideas. His vision, this, uh, his, how, how he saw things working out, involved churches, strong churches in regional centres in the known world. And so he goes and he plants them in Corinth and in Thessalonica and in Rome, places which uh, were on the, the major trading routes of the world, so the gospel would spread rapidly from them. His vision was for practical mercy to back up the message. And therefore, for that reason, Paul expends a lot of effort in fundraising. Paul was a fundraiser. He raised money for the church in Judea, which had been struck by a famine. Why did he do it? Well, because we're told to love people, that's a good enough reason, but also because he saw it as a way of cementing together the Jewish church and the Gentile church. It was an act of love which brought the, the, the unity of the gospel into sharp focus. And then lastly, he had a vision for sustainable churches. Uh, he wasn't a, uh, a fly-by-night preacher. He went and he planted churches which would have their own leadership. And so he invested himself in training up people. Uh, he, he discipled people like Priscilla and Aquila. He then mentored Apollos. Uh, he had Timothy as his protege, and he gives commands to Titus in Crete to make sure that all the churches in Crete have got elders, so that the church is going to carry on. It will be sustainable. And when Paul was martyred, there were already self-funding, growing churches with indigenous leadership all over Now, Paul is a model for us only because Paul is modeling his master. Because Jesus was purposeful. Jesus had a mission. Jesus came to, uh, to give his life a ransom for many. That was why Jesus came. Uh, he came and he lived that life out uh, by showing that the gospel is free. He could say at one point that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When he died, no one could accuse Jesus of having been in it for money because the only thing he left behind was literally the clothes he stood up in. And he went about preaching, and his ministry was one to rural Galilee. And he went around the villages preaching the good news. And he made his, his kingdom visible by acts of mercy which portrayed graphically what the, the kingdom of God would look like when it came in in its fullness and there was no sin. Jesus did not run aimlessly. He ran with, he ran with purpose and so must his followers. Now, the second uh, thing to say is that there's another dimension for all this. Although it's important for the church to be clear about what it wants to do, to be strategic, there is a great strategist whose ways are higher than our ways. And so often it is that uh, 
God will come in and will overrule in the, the plans that, that we make as Christians. And that's what happened with Paul, remember. Uh, Paul at one time uh, has got a good plan. He's going to go to uh, Asia Minor, uh, part of modern-day Turkey, and the Spirit prevents him from going. The Spirit puts a roadblock in the way. We don't know uh, how that happened, but Paul says very clearly that the Spirit prevented him from going to the place he had planned to go. And instead, uh, in a vision, he has a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help me. Come over and help us. And so, instead of going north, he goes west. And he lands in Philippi in Europe for the first time and meets a bunch of women who are praying by the riverside. And Lydia is converted. And the first church is planted in Europe. God overrules. Paul's got this great ambition of going to Rome to, uh, to, to visit the church in Rome. And uh, he's making plans to do that. Part of his next missionary trip. How does Paul end up here? He ends up there as a prisoner. God had a better way of doing things. And so, chained between uh, Roman guards, the gospel comes into the imperial household. How good is that? But God is in his way. Paul had his plan, but God overruled it. Uh, so that's a, a, a really important reminder to us that uh, man proposes, but God disposes. That yes, we must be purposeful, but we need to say with all of our plans what James says about taking a journey. If it is the Lord's will, we will do this and that. If it is the Lord's will, we may not be. God is the master strategist. How would these kind of things work out in our own setting? Well, I mean, this morning we're just really setting the stage for, for looking at um, our, our vision for sharing the word and, and for mercy and for uh, relational evangelism. But in general terms, the church always needs to be clear uh, about what we're called to do in our generation, what God's purposes for us are in our generation. Uh, Stephen, uh, in his speech before he was martyred, said of David, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. David served the purposes of God in his own generation. God had a specific purpose for David in the, in the age in which he lived, and David fulfilled that purpose. And if it's laid upon uh, us, in our generation, in our location, here in, in Coatbridge and Airdrie, to do the purposes of God in the day he has set us. What's our situation? Uh, in the place he set us? Well, we, we live in a in an age and in a location where there has been a virtual collapse in the mainstream churches. You only have to look around and see uh, in Coatbridge the profusion of derelict churches to realize that these are not days in which the, the church is growing. We're also in a time when uh, those who remain in the church, because they're discouraged by this, are casting about here and there for all kinds of 
silver bullets which will change the situation. Uh, and very often that results in uh, a slackening off in commitment to the Word of God. In an effort to try and draw people in, there is always the, the great temptation to try and make everything a lot, uh, a lot easier, to lower the bar, become more attractive. And so there's a real need for, for churches in our area which are standing very firmly on, on the Bible and know what they believe, communicate clearly what they believe. The rising uh, generation which has been groomed to be suspicious of religion. Uh, the media tends to associate uh, any um, firm conviction with fundamentalists, and that word is used in the, in the, the negative sense uh, normally by the media. Uh, so the church is tainted by association with uh, fundamentalist extremism. You know, so to, to hold to believe anything too strongly, you're lumped in with Islamic terrorists, essentially. Or there's the, the, the bad press surrounding the uh, child abuse of Roman Catholic clergy. And so, uh, for many young people, it's a plague in all your houses. I don't want to know anything any longer about you. So that's a challenge. And then bring that in uh, with the challenge of unemployment and poverty and family breakdown and sectarianism mental health issues, substance addiction, and it's a challenging situation. When you look at uh, our own situation, uh, we're a small church. Uh, of course, a few years ago we weren't financially sustainable. By God's grace, we are now. But we have a mission, and surely it has to be something like this, that we want to glorify God by growing Hope Church to be a strong, worshipping community which will replicate itself. That has to be the goal. Not just that we'll be strong, but that we'll plant strong churches in our community which so badly needs that. God will be glorified here by strong, healthy churches. And to make that happen, means a commitment to spiritual and numerical growth. So if that is a, a mission, what is the vision? How, how does that take place? Well, we actually have already a, a vision statement which uh, addresses that. And the vision is that uh, we want to create an open door to our church family through sharing the Bible and loving our neighbours. And what that means is that we're, we're committed to sharing the gospel through relationships. Not so much through having evangelistic events, because the, the generation in which we live are, are so uh, allergic to these kind of things that you can't just open doors and expect people to come in. Therefore, if the people are to come to Jesus Christ, then we have to be in the community. We need to be involved in the community where we are, making genuine relationships with people who are not Christians, uh, ordering our time so that we're not completely caught up in, in a, a Christian ghetto, but we're being salt and light in the community around us, and that we function as a, a family, that our relationships within the church are strong, so that not only on Sunday, but throughout the week, we're gathering. And in these gatherings, people who are not yet Christians are 
welcomed. So that when they first come to church, they look around and they see that the people around them are already folks that they know through these other things. And that's so important. That's what we mean by creating an open door to our church family. That means that there are people that we have made relationships with, but it still leaves a lot of people that we'll never manage to uh, meet socially or who are not living near to us. And that's where some of the practical ministries of the church come into their own. That's where things like the job club is so helpful or the toddler group, or the coffee club. And we serve our community by meeting needs, and through meeting needs, we meet more people. And for all of them, whether we meet them by uh, being involved in our community activities and thereby making friendships, or because people have come to the job club or whatever, our aim is always to share the Bible. And we do that in different ways, through Christianity Explored, one-to-one Bible study, and such like. And in all these things, to be adaptable, and swift of foot, and kingdom-focused. What does that look like? What is relational evangelism? What is deed ministry? What's sharing the word like in detail? Well, we're going to look at that in the next few weeks. But in all these things, whatever a church does. There's only one question which needs to be answered in the, in the affirmative. And it's the question, is God glorified in this? Because that's our primary purpose in everything we do. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we're not glorifying God in, a, in an activity, my goodness, ditch it, and do something that is. And therefore, we need to be reflective, and we need to look at what we do, and ask, is God glorified? Does this fulfill the mission of our church? Is this part of our vision? Dr. Harry Reader, um, the author of Embers to a Flame, tells of a church in Atlanta, uh, in the States, that had a motto which goes like this, We want to attempt something so great for God that it is doomed to failure unless God is in it. That's faith, isn't it? Going beyond what we are capable of in our own strength and thereby giving God the glory. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for the example of Paul Thank you that he was a reflective practitioner. We thank you that he did not run aimlessly, that he had purpose in his life. And we want to be people like that. We want to be a church like that, O oh Lord. And we pray that you will help us to reflect on what we do, on the friendships that we have, on the willingness or unwillingness with which we share the gospel. And help us, Lord, to be more like the people that you have called serve your purposes in our generation. We ask this in Jesus' name.